Take them. You have fun? That's good. Let's go home and make supper. Welcome to the ND Outdoors Podcast. All right. Welcome to episode 17 of the NDO Podcast. Uh, I'm your, now back as your host, <laughs> along with Casey Anderson. Um, this is my first episode back. And this week, we're going to visit with Steph Tucker. She's been on before, our game management section leader and fur bear biologist, as well as RJ Gross, our upland game biologist. Talk a little bit about um, just a little bit about research and why the department does it, and then specifically get into a turkey research project we have going on. So welcome, everyone. It's good to have you back, Kayla. Yeah, thanks. It's good to be back. I've been lost by myself. It doesn't sound like (laughs) it. The episodes have sounded good. So yeah, we've got Steph and RJ here today. Um, Stephanie has been on before. She's the game management section leader for bear biologists for the department. RJ is one of our upland game biologists. Why don't you, RJ, we'll start with you. You can kind of introduce yourself, maybe your responsibilities in the department. Yeah, sure. No, as upland game biologist with Game and Fish, my species that I manage are pheasants, turkeys, um, Hungarian partridge, rabbits, and squirrels. And that's teamed with my supervisor who takes care of the grouse species. Um, you know, our biggest stuff that, that that I coordinate are the population surveys that we do. You know, everyone knows about the crowing counts, brood surveys, things like that. And then also, as we'll talk about today, a little bit of, of research. Mm-hmm. And so, Steph, you <coughs> maybe... You're supervising these guys as the section leader, but also doing the fur bear biologist stuff. And maybe just to jump right into it, um, you know, we do a lot of research, a lot of, but maybe the department's philosophy on research, like why do we do it? Not just because it's necessarily something neat, but. Right, sure. So as you guys have mentioned, RJ and I are in our game management section And our primary job responsibilities are statewide population monitoring for game species as well as harvest management. And so, but uh, we have a strong culture in our section of doing research to improve the way we do business. So whether we want to improve our population monitoring or our harvest management. And then, of course, we also help. It's kind of an all-hands-on-deck with uh, human-wildlife conflict mitigation. And that's, you know, part of a little bit of RJ's work as well, dealing with turkey depredation in the winter and part of his research project. And so uh, we are very comfortable using research as a tool uh, to find out more about animals. You know, we're, we're either looking to conduct a research project, like so there's maybe a treatment, we have a control and treatment, and we're changing something to see what how the animals or the wildlife reacts to that. In some cases, our research is just more specifically we're using advanced surveillance to monitor, to find out how the animals are behaving normally, where they're moving, things like that, so that we have enough information about them to effectively manage them mm-hmm. around North Dakota. And so the <clears throat> as we get into, like, maybe go into, we're going to do a research project. I mean, these things are not cheap when we do them. Right. They're long-term in some cases, I mean, years. Right, absolutely. So... You know, the longer the better typically with research projects, but we have to 
you know, temper that with reasonable expectations about how much money we can supply for those research projects and things like that. And in our section, RJ and I, um, we are, we operate using Pittman-Robertson funds. And so we use a uh, everything we do in the game management section can be matched by an excise tax on sporting good ammunitions and things like that. And so 75% of the research projects typically that 75% of the funding for the research projects we typically do comes from Pittman Robertson dollars or that excise tax on sporting goods that's distributed out to the states. And so that helps go a long way, uh, helps, you know, with some of our state license dollars to match that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, on the, on the low end of things, a research project could cost, a, you know, ten twenty thousand $20,000 for something simple where we're just a collaborator on kind of a bigger project and we're just pitching in some money. Uh, but typically, if we're talking about putting radio transmitters or using some of these advanced technologies on animals, you know, advanced capture techniques, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, depending on the species and the length of the project. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've done a few big ones in the past that, I mean... Approaching eight hundred thousand dollars or more, um, and then so when we <clears throat> when we do research, um, you know, it, a lot of times it's not just for necessarily the game management section either. You know, it's we're finding out things that are with habitats for certain species or things like that that we can incorporate department wide essentially. Absolutely. So. We are not the only group of individuals within the game and fish department that uses research to improve what we know or to, you know, advance our knowledge and improve the way we do business. You know, our conservation section that works on non-game wildlife funds a ton of research on non-game species, our fisheries division as well, as well as some of our more habitat managers, the people that are working with either private or public lands. Uh, they're testing out ways to uh, figure out impacts to, you know, different management actions on landscapes and how that impacts the species they're trying to target or improve populations of. So lots of people in the agency do research, uh, but we have, we have a pretty strong culture in our section of doing research as well. Mm -hmm. It's one thing I always like to point out, but we're, we're one of the smallest game and fish departments in the nation. A lot of other game and fish departments have a research arm or research section themselves. And we kind of include it and a lot of times with your guys' work or, or some other stuff. And so, you know, when we do research, we do some on our own, but not very much. Right. A lot of times we're working right. with other groups, maybe explain yeah. how that works. And yeah, and, and RJ can talk about his collaborators, but like you mentioned, Casey, we rarely do a research project or tackle a research project by ourselves. Uh, we go out and we look for collaborators, and these are typically – uh, professors at a university who do the type of research we're interested in doing or have expertise and the methods we would like to use, as well as some other federal and state agencies as well. Sometimes we collaborate on regional research projects. There are NGOs, too, that collaborate with us on research projects and help fund some of those research projects, and RJ can fill you in on the Turkey Project more specifically. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, maybe just touch on yeah. how that collaboration works a little bit in the Turkey Project. Yeah, so that one, I mean... We're, we're partnering with University of North Dakota. Um, the principal investigator is Dr. Susan ellis Feligi, who happens to be my old advisor. I did my master's at, at UND, so obviously the working relationship was there. And she knows, I mean, her expertise is putting collars on birds and, and, and tracking them. And, I mean, you know, she's done it all the way back to her master's and Ph.D. down in Georgia. 
Um, so, you know, it worked out that way. And, and kind of talking about the project, um, as we're talking about depredation, you know, on winters, unfortunately, like this one, bad winters, the food sources out there just aren't, aren't, aren't available. It's easy for turkeys to go into farmyards, things like that, get into hay piles, silage, things where they don't belong, and that causes a problem. And the department has the responsibility to take care of that. We have a few ways that we have done that in the past, and usually that's trap and transport. Um, and we'll do that. We'll go in there, use you know rocket nets, uh, walk-in traps, drop nets, things like that, take those turkeys to wildlife management across the state. They, when it started, I think the program started sometime in the 90s, Something like that. Before us, RJ. Well, yeah, before all, right, almost right. before all of us. Probably. Yeah, before yeah. I was born. Yes, yeah. Yeah. absolutely. <laughs> um, and they're they're not really the greatest ways of tracking them. I mean, they, they used to put bands on some of them, on some of them not. And then when I started five six years ago, we started putting bands on with contact information, and we just don't get returns. You know, we'd move two three hundred turkeys a year, I'd get four or five returns. So. The question came about, and and it's not just in North Dakota. I mean, in, in other states do this too. You know, are we moving these turkeys to their demise? You know, are they are they staying on management areas? Are they going to the next farmyard? Things like that, or are they we're just putting them out there and they're not surviving? So I, I we came up with this research project with UND that we're over the next two years, and it's it's a PhD project, so it's going to be five years of of work. But over the next two winters, we want to catch 180 turkeys and put GPS backpack transmitters on them. Uh, we're focusing in the western part of the state just because that's where most of our turkeys are. That's where they're doing really well, which in turn, that's where all the depredations are. And with that, we're going to move them to different wildlife management areas, and we'll track those for, for at least three years. The collar uh, backpack is supposed to be be alive for three years, but they, they, they use them extensively on bald eagles. And they've had a few of them that have been five, six years. So we'll see. And um, the graduate student on this is Kaylee Isaacson. It's kind of a, an interesting, her story is really interest, interesting. She's going right from her undergrad to PhD, just skipping the, the master's project. And so far, I mean, she's done, she's done great. I think currently, actually, she's out tromping through snow right now looking for a, a, a collar that, that, uh, that is on mortality. But mm-hmm. so... And with this, so this year we started, um, we captured 100 turkeys, and we're, we're mainly focusing on the females because we want to get, you know, another question. When we move these turkeys, are they nesting, you know, mm-hmm. those females? Or are they so wound up that they're, you know, we took them out of, yeah. the, out of their backyard and put them into a different backyard? They have no idea. And with this, um, probably the toughest sell of the project itself was we're leaving some of these birds at the depredation site or control birds, mm-hmm. which isn't always easy to ask a landowner, I'll come trap your turkeys, but can I leave four or five of them? Yeah. You know? And surprisingly, I mean, most people that we dealt with were, were really receptive to it. And actually, mm-hmm. there was one, he said, yeah, you can trap all the turkeys you want, put backpacks, but can you leave them all here? Yeah. Like, no, I'll leave you a couple. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's, that's always interesting. Yeah. You know, it's n- a lot of times when we work with folks that have depredation, it's, it's not that they want them all gone. No. And usually, they just want a little control of the situation, right. you know. They like turkeys. They don't like three hundred turkeys, mm-hmm. you know. And you can't blame them. I mean, they yeah. they cause a mess, and you know they they do numbers on on yeah. hay piles and everything like that. Um, but so yeah, Kaylee's going to track these for for at least three years, and then uh, you know 
basically in, in North Dakota, we haven't done very many studies on turkeys. We don't know much. Mm-hmm. Um, there was the basis of one um, 10, 15 years ago that, that mm-hmm. they tried to figure out surveys for turkeys, which is not, a, again, not a North Dakota problem. There's <laughs> no good way to survey turkeys. That didn't quite work out, but we got good habitat modeling out of them, you know, what these turkeys are looking for. Um, and, you know, it's not a surprise. They're, they're, they're looking for trees, and, and farmsteads came out as, as a top two, which, I mean, when we get winters like this, <laughs> so where, where, where are they going to go? Yeah. They, they don't, every, <laughs> everything else is, is most, snowed in. Most of the state, that's the only tree we get. Exactly. Snow is a farmstead. Exactly, yep. Yep. And um, there's, there, there's re- so the callers that we have, they, they, it's, it's not like over a cell network or things like that, just because where turkeys are isn't very good cell cell reception so we went with ones where we have to they're download on so we go out there and there's there's three different ways you know you can do it just walking out there with the old yagi antenna um then you gotta this year you gotta put on your snowshoes and get out there or we, we can um another thing that susan has a lot of experience with is drones and we can put the little base station that comes with these collars onto a drone fly over them and, and, and within five kilometers It'll start downloading um, of, of of each turkey, so that's that's been really cool. And then we can also utilize the, the department plane. There's a specific base station we can put on there that we fly around, and and that's been working really really well. You know, it's definitely a learning experience. We've we've had to figure out different ways to point 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 it and everything. Where you know, <laughs> the first time Kaylee flew, she was up circling for an hour and a half trying to download these turkeys, and you know, she. she when when you're up there, no small planes circling. Sometimes <laughs> your stomach doesn't feel very good. You know? So we're trying to minimize the time she's up there. Um, but then, yeah. After, so after the two years, and hopefully, you know, we can get those 180 turkeys. We learned another thing. We learned, and you know, it's not just about the turkeys, but about our trap and transport program. Mm-hmm. You know, we want to evaluate. You know, are not necessarily are the landowners happy about it, but you know, the department's response to it. You know, what can we do better? Are there different things that we can change? You know, is there is the type of thing where we could mimic, you know, the deer, um, the doe landowner program where, you know, mm-hmm. when you have too many deer, can we match up hunters? And we could do that now informally, mm-hmm. but it'd be nice to do something more formal for that. Um, but also with that, you, you, you know, like I said, getting the landowner's perspective on it. And then um, it's, been, it's been really cool to watch how engaged the landowners are. I mean, you know, they're out there checking the traps, you know, <laughs> looking at the cameras, because <laughs> <laughs> so we've we've learned traditionally. I think we've usually used like rocket nets and drop mm-hmm. nets for for turkey response, and we've really upped our walk-in trap game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when when I was a seasonal first started, you know, over in Jamestown, we would do some walk-in traps, but we would have a rope tied to the door sitting in the truck and wait for one two turkeys to come in and close the door, you know, like one of those cartoons, you know, in here. Um, and now, so um, our Bismarck, basically the main trapper, Jim Houston, he came up with an idea. If it's, it's basically a, a poultry, uh, not a trap, but a, a poultry pen from TSC mm-hmm. with a couple big doors. And, you know, with today's trail cameras, they're all remote cell cameras, so we set up a trail camera right by it, and we can see when the turkeys, you know, live live stream when they're coming in. And then I'm sure you guys have seen, like, the hog traps down mm-hmm. south where there are remote 
remote door. Yep. As soon as they're in there, you can press a button and they drop. So with, you know, your cell phones and with this, you know, this winter, I've probably talked to Jim the most I have in my career. And we'll be texting back and forth. Hey, there's 10 turkeys in our trap. Should we, should yeah. we close it? Yeah, sure. You know, you can text it. It closes the door. And then, you know, you can, you can, you know, take your time, go out there and go get them. Where, yeah. you know, before is so intense that, you know, say you're, you're rocket netting. You have to sit there for, well, the one we did this year, we were there for 10 hours. Yeah. You know, because the turkeys would come, mm-hmm. come a little bit, then they'd leave. Come a little yeah. bit, then they'd leave. And then when they finally commit... Ten hours later, then you shoot. Mm-hmm. Where here, you know, you can go about your normal duties. You get a text message: "Hey, the turkeys are in trap." Hit a hit a button, yeah. boom. Okay, let's go get them. This year, it's been mostly you can come back to the shop and move snow. Yes, while the turkeys <laughs> sit there, <laughs> right. and then right, <laughs> so right. it allows it. But yep. yeah, it saved us a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, and partly that whole system was kind of thought up too. We had areas where we've got CWD. And we didn't mm-hmm. want deer to be exposed to the baits either, which sometimes right. drop nets and things, you leave the sides open. And, yep. and yeah, it was really, really in, innovative by Jim to figure that out. And, yeah. well, and it's I, almost worked better, you know. And now I call it, we're kind of having an arms race with yeah. it because now um, Robert Miller up in Riverdale and Todd <laughs> Buckley up and went, they all want to do their own different yeah. kind, you know, you make, make it better. Make it better. Yeah. Like, like Todd's is like twice the size. You know? <laughs> yeah. I can get 40 turkeys yeah. in compared to your 15. Yeah. You know? He might find out that working forty turkeys is well, maybe, I think, maybe more than you want to. I do think they kind of. I think they kind of did because he caught almost thirty his first time out. And he's like, Holy crap! What am I going to do with yeah. all these? You know? Doesn't matter how big it is. I'm closing it when ten no. comes in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I mean, yeah, working. You know, putting the collars on thirty turkeys. You know, that's it takes mm-hmm. a team. And you know, it was another really cool part of this study. You know, it's kind of working out with you know the big AI scare. We're having these turkeys in hand, so mm-hmm. our, our lab techs and Charlie Bonson were doing all disease sampling from all these, and we're looking at uh, four or five different different diseases. Just so people know, what does AI stand for, RJ? Avian influenza. Yep. 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 Mm-hmm. I guess we all knew it here. So. Right. right. Yep. No, <laughs> you yep. my bad. Right. You know. But no, you know, the, the obviously that's that's kind of a buzzword right now, and, and in some states like Montana, they found some in their, in their wild turkeys, so we just wanted to see if it was prevalent or not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool. So RJ comes to you with this crazy idea, how, you know, and then your group kind of discusses them and, and figures out if, and then it comes through Bill and I and up all the way up to Jeb right. before we get to funding, but maybe explain what we're, what we're looking for when, when the first time we're thinking of a research project. Right. Um, so I guess, you know, we're pretty focused, like I said, on doing research projects that have direct management implications on improving the way we do business. And so, and my crew is very good. I mean, we, we don't do just GUA science here at the Game and Fish Department. It's very focused uh, on improving our wildlife management. And so uh, there's lots of people that do really good, innovative science and develop new techniques and things like that. And sometimes we're, you know, we're kind of on the periphery of those, but really we're just trying to improve uh, wildlife management in North Dakota. And so when a proposal comes in to us and, and the chiefs, uh, you know, first thing is, does it meet with our division priorities? Okay, so, you know, yeah, we might need to know more about, say, our elk and where our elk are located in the Badlands and how to survey elk now that we have elk all over the mm-hmm. Badlands. You know, we used to just have elk 
and the north and south south units of Theodore Roosevelt National Park, or mostly the south unit, excuse me, mm-hmm. and a few other spots. Uh, but then when they started the elk reduction in the south unit of Theodore Roosevelt National Park, it pushed elk outside the park, and there's now satellite herds all over the Badlands. And not only do we not know how many were there, uh, we didn't have a good survey method for elk, and so there was definitely some need for improvement. So when, we, when things like that happen, um, our, our biologists will go out, they'll talk to some collaborators, see if they can get a partner on board like Dr. Feligi up at UND, who is interested in working and helping solve, answer those questions for us. Uh, and then they draft a proposal with a budget. And that, that goes through, you know, d- different levels of scrutiny, like you said, uh, first within our section, and then it goes up, you know, it does it meet the division priorities. And then, of course, ultimately the directors will have the say mm-hmm. on whether or not that rises to the level of what the department needs to fund at this time and, and what kind of funding is available at this time. We've been very fortunate in the game management section, and we have a ton of research going on right now. Uh, we've had, you know, plenty of grant dollars available through the Pittman-Robertson Fund uh, to do research projects. We have a lot of really talented partners and collaborators, from, and we don't work with just uh, necessarily professors or collaborators in North Dakota. Uh, we have folks working from with folks from USGS, working with folks from the University of Montana, the University of Idaho, uh, I'm working with a collaborator from Michigan State University on a research project. So um, our collaborators come from all over the country, depending on their expertise and willingness to work with us. But like RJ mentioned, uh, usually we find a collaborator and then they and us will recruit a graduate student to do the groundwork. Mm-hmm. And so and that, uh, depending on the length of the project, might accommodate either a master's degree student or a Ph.D. student. Um, and so we're also helping during those research projects is great because we're helping develop the next generation of biologists in the process as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, wildlife management, we, we base so much of what we do on, on science, you know, and, mm-hmm. and so like when one of these projects, one of these projects gets up and going and somebody does all the work, um, do their, they do their analysis. And then there's, there's another process that I, I want to hit on a little bit, but it's like once these projects are done, they have to go through another process to really kind of, we, we, we a lot of times say get published, but really mm-hmm. it's it's vetting the science and making sure yep. that yep. things were done to right. certain ways and maybe explain that so that people know like the science that we're using is completed to this standard kind of thing. Right, right. And I mentioned a couple times, you know, the reason we go to an expert in the in the type of research or the analysis we're trying to do is because they they have been vetted by their peers before. And so what happens is we we spend s- several years collecting data in the field on these animals, and then the student and the collaborator will go back and start crunching the numbers. Sometimes we get involved in that as well. And then the final stage is that peer review process to get published in a peer reviewed journal. And so. Um, Hopefully, by that point, we've ironed out all the kinks and our scientific process is sound. The statistics we're using to analyze the data are sound. Um, and, and we've kind of got enough input from other outside, you know, um, reviewers to tell us, yep, this is good. We move forward with publication. And then when it's out there and it's published in a peer-reviewed journal, that's information anybody in any state can use for wildlife management anywhere in the country. And so that's the last part is sharing it with mm-hmm. the profession on a wide scale. And so, but yes, there's this extra peer review. So 
opinions about wildlife management are all over the board, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, from one extreme to the next on what we should do and the way we overcome that and make decisions to move forward whenever possible is to use data and the scientific mm-hmm. process to make those decisions. Yep. Uh, sometimes, you know, we have to use our professional expertise, but that is definitely not our preference. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes we're kind of just feeling our way along until we find the, you know, the sweet spot that kind of mm-hmm. works for everybody. Um, but anytime we can do some science and collect some good data to tell us how to move forward, which is, mm-hmm. you know, that's our preference. I, I think it's always you know, you talked about using our professional expertise and, and we, we, a lot of times use it to the point where we go, okay, we need a study mm-hmm. to really, you know, like we, yeah. we push that only so far till you're, you know, kind of like the turkey stuff. Yep. It's like, we've been moving turkeys and doing these things. And all of a sudden you get to the point where, okay, we m- maybe need to look a little deeper into this yep. with a study. Well. For and one, to make sure we're spending yeah. our money right. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and I think another thing to add, you know, we're, we're talking about collaborating with, you know, universities, but they're also that the uh, the NGOs, you know, like mm-hmm. PF, NWTF, you know, like with this study, uh, the Turkey Project, NWTF contacted me and, you know, they really urged urged us to apply for, for their research grant program, which they hadn't hadn't been strong in, in years past with, with COVID and things like that. You know, that impacted everything. But um, we applied for this just so we could – you know, like I said, we're focusing on the females, but obviously we'd like to get some more college out for males. And then NWTF uh, gave us additional funding so we could buy more collars and put it out for, for those males. So, I mean, there's always, mm-hmm. you know, there's different avenues of, of funding for, for research. And usually these NGOs are, are more than happy to, to, to help you out, you know, to further advance the research. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, like the National Wild Turkey Federation already mentioned, but... Um, even though, you know, we use primarily, you know, Pittman-Robertson funds, we have a ton of funding partners for some of these projects. You know, some of our research, you know, will have, you know, eight, ten collaborators, you know, all little people, you know, little NGOs or clubs that can't can't offer up a lot of money, but they want to pitch in and they want to, mm-hmm. you know, contribute to that effort that we're making. And so that is great. We love uh, when people want to help with those projects and contribute either manpower or funds mm-hmm. if they can uh, we're always open to those ideas. Yeah, and sometimes the easiest thing is like when we need equipment for the project, yep. say the collars, the collars yeah. or yep. transmitters or whatever, that's it's one of the easiest routes yeah. to go is yeah. help purchase some of those. Right, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, I guess a little yeah. further down the scientific process route, you kind of already touched on this when you were explaining the Turkey mm-hmm. Project, RJ, but just for maybe people not familiar with research, I mean, you kind of just talked about like control or mm-hmm. how many you were doing. Um but yeah, we can't just say we put we tried three turkeys and we put backpacks yep, no. on them and this is what happened, you yep. know, like. Yep, and and a lot of that is another reason why you have to collaborate because that's over my head, you know. <laughs> yeah. they, they do what's called a power analysis, and it was basically how many turkeys do we need for this to be stati- statistically powerful, and 180 was what came out. Mm-hmm. And so, how many years? Are we going to need to work with these turkeys? Two, yep, and two. Th- we we're going to follow them for three, but we'll catch them uh, for two. Under eighty okay. within two years, and our goal was ninety and ninety to split up, and we got a hundred this year. So, mm-hmm. yep, awesome. good head start. We yeah. don't knock on wood that winter will end here soon because so far, you know, a l- little teaser. The turkeys are doing; they're a lot tougher than I thought they were. You know, mm-hmm. I thought we were going to they're dropping like flies, but they're doing good so far. Mm-hmm. You know, but. And get on winter, yeah, and, and you know, kind of a, a funny story that we, you know, we're, we're learning as we go. You know, we don't we don't have all the answers, but so to determine mortality for these turkeys, it's it's based on GPS and it's low movement, 
And we found out that the, the default setting was if a turkey doesn't move 50 meters in a day, it's low movement and it's probably dead. Well, there's, with four feet of snow out there, there's some of our turkeys that aren't moving 25 feet a day. Right. I mean, like at, at one depredation, they're roosting, they're flying down to the trap to eat and flying back to the roost, which is 25 feet away. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you know, right away we had all these turkeys that are mortality, yeah. but we, we'd go out and ground check and like, no, they're... All right there, I can see it. But you get yeah. a three-day blizzard, and they yeah. just don't move. No, exactly. It's over. And that's kind of, you know, the, 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 the researcher, you know, there's a bunch of research down in you know, Georgia, the southern mm-hmm. states, and things like that, where they don't get feet of snow, and their turkeys move all day. Like, yeah, I mean, it's negative 10. Our turkeys don't want to get out of the tree. Yeah. So we had to adjust that, obviously. You know, now it's, you know, I think we're 10, 15 meters a, mm-hmm. a day. Now they're mortality. Yeah, and when you say adjusted, a lot of these, this new technology with these Backpacks or, or radio collars or things mm-hmm. we can just do that right from the computer. Yep. Well, yeah, and that's so when we when you can download the data, that's also when it talks to the caller if you want to change you know the, the the settings of it, which we'll do quite often. You know, when it gets to nesting season, we'll change it so we're getting you know four or five reports a day instead of the two right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, when you just you know fly over with your plane or your drone, it'll talk to the caller and it'll download data and it can change your settings. And it's, mm-hmm. it's pretty crazy. The technology that we have yeah. available i remember they found that out with the elk study down in the in e6 that when winter came our our elk like to sleep yeah, a well, lot longer yeah pretty soon bill jensen was we got elk dying all over the place <laughs> <laughs> it's like no they're just yeah. not moving they're yeah. taking a nap yep. Yep. <laughs> when you get snowed in do you move more than 50 <laughs> no, yeah, meters nope. <laughs> I, I take a nap too yeah, yeah. i yeah. take a nap mm-hmm. till the snow's over and then yeah. i snow blow for yeah. the next few yeah. hours yeah <laughs> um so, the we talked a little bit about how the Turkey Project will inform management. Um, you know, one of the things I think of, of course, as as the division chief, we're moving a lot of these turkeys, and we're spending a lot of time doing it. Mm-hmm. Is it even something that is useful? Well, exactly. You know, and I yeah. think some of that's gonna some right. of that'll come out of this if if we're moving all these turkeys and they're not surviving. Um, or the, and or they're causing us more problems in a different area. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, well, maybe we need to look at how we manage those situations right. differently. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and, and I think the other interesting part of that is we'll find out if any of those, because, you know, it's always been our goal to move those turkeys to public lands for mm-hmm. where there's public access for hunting, and do any of those marked turkeys become available to hunters in the next spring mm-hmm. turkey yep. season, and, and are any of them been taken by hunters, yeah. and how many? That brings up another point. So... Turkey season's coming up. Yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's going to be a snowshoe and white camel. <laughs> you have your white camel, season, yeah, but, exactly. But um, so if 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 somebody shoots one of these turkeys, mm-hmm. what should they do? Or yep. even because they're out and about, they might find one dead. Absolutely. One. Yep. And it's got our contact information on the collar, and each turkey has a band uh, with mm-hmm. our contact info. So just report it. Um, call the number that's on there. You know, call the call the main desk at the Game and Fish, and, mm-hmm. and we'll we'll go and pick it up from you. With that being said, we don't necessarily want hunters not to shoot them. Right. But yeah, no, we don't want them to target ones that, you know, go yep. look for one, pass one because they're looking for one of right. these. No, no, yeah, if, if they're harvested, that's data. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, and, and honestly, it's pretty hard to see, at least the yeah. backpack. is. They preen it in really well. Obviously, the band sticks out like a sore thumb, big, big mm-hmm. silver band on them. But, yeah, no, I mean, hunting hunting harvest is, mm-hmm. is part of mortality. So, Yeah, good. Um, so they can just call our main office yep. number and 
and let us know, and we'll get yep. in contact with them. Probably you will get in contact Absolutely, with them. Absolutely, right? yep. yep. But, yeah, it'll be interesting. We'll have to have, uh, what is it, Kaylee? Is that how you Kaylee, say her name? Kaylee Isaacson, yep. We'll have to have her on after it's all completed, oh, yeah. maybe, and yep. go through it. So, yep. um, What other research do we have going on, Steph? across the department yeah, right now. we got a lot. So our big game guys got some, they're doing some radio telemetry tracking of elk, and that's been going on for several years now. I think we're in the last year of a five-year research project there, and I kind of mentioned that one already. Uh, also on the big game side of things, they've been doing um, some an- analysis and research with some of our long-term data sets that doesn't have a field component. So, you know, we have... 50 years of hunter harvest data from our white-tailed deer. Uh, can we use that as a way to model population abundance uh, without actually having to get out and do a physical survey? You know, do we have enough data and information about white-tailed deer? So that's another one. Uh, we got some stuff going on with our bighorn sheep always. We have some radio callers out there both to keep track of, uh, to survey our herds as well as to see uh, how some of our translocations for bighorn sheep are doing. Um, on the waterfall side of things, migratory game bird, they got some radio transmitters and pintails and mallards recently. So they're tracking those both uh, in North Dakota, the habitats they use in North Dakota, what happens during the fall hunting seasons with those birds, but also we're trying to catch the migratory pathways both to and from their winter range with some of those pintails and mallards. So that, uh, of course, RJ's turkey project. And then on the fur bear side of things, I have a research project looking at abundance of American marten up in the Turtle Mountains. So we're really interested in opening a trapping season potentially in the future on American marten up there. But we don't passively collect enough data on marten up there because they're so secretive and Mm -hmm. and nocturnal and things like that. And so we physically are going to need to go out there and collect data to find out if there's enough for a a regulated trapping season up there. And So that started last year. and We got a couple more years of that as well. Mm -hmm. So yeah, cool. And then we've got, what, two CWD projects yes, going on. Yes, yes. So I don't want to forget on our wildlife health side of things, there's always some concerns there, and lately has been chronic wasting disease. We're looking at uh, genetic relatedness of positive CWD deer. So if a deer dies, like how closely in, in our areas where we have CWD are these really, are they all coming from the same family group, or is it a more widespread problem there? Uh, things like that, as well as looking at, CWD prion or chronic wasting disease is caused by a misfolded protein called a prion. And uh, we know that that persists in the landscape outside of its host. So we're doing some collaboration with the province of Saskatchewan to look at prion persistence in the soil and the, the potential for that to become a source of continued CWD infections in our deer herd. Um, as well as on the wildlife harvest side of things, you know, all of us that hunt and trap and fish know that Game and Fish does a lot of wildlife harvest surveys. And those are, again, a management tool we use to monitor population trends up and down. You know, if it takes a lot longer for somebody to fill their deer tag this year than it did last year, you know, that might be telling us something about what's going on with the deer population. And we do that for all kinds of species. Uh, so we always are trying to look at ways to improve our hunter harvest surveys, our postseason surveys. So we got some research going on there as well uh, and mm-hmm. things we can do with that hunter harvest survey. Yep. And One of the things you talked about before we started recording was it's not always maybe just funding that's a limiting factor, but um, yeah, we don't have a research arm. So just kind of the capacity of our staff to continue to do their regular jobs of monitoring game populations and then tack on additional research projects. Right. We have pretty much full plates, and we, we hit that you know earlier that that's, that's one of the primary reasons we work with collaborators to do a lot of this research for us because we just don't have the extra time in the day to do it. 
And so I would say in general, each one of our biologists in our section maybe has the spare time to coordinate or uh, kind of keep track of one research project, two at the most, but it's rare that uh, we have more time in the day to handle that. And so there's always good research ideas and data needs out there. Uh, I'm sure every one of our biologists has a running list of things they'd like to know <laughs> oh, yeah. mm-hmm. about the wildlife they're trying to manage. But uh, we got to kind of pick and choose and prioritize what is what are the big priorities for our section and our agency at the time. Yeah, well, good. What what uh, turkey season coming up? Steph, you've been hunting turkeys. You've been <laughs> you said you were leaving for Montana, and I was, yeah. like, looking up the Montana opener. Like, is that why she's going? It's the 15th, <laughs> Montana. Yeah, so not yet, there yet. Yeah. But, um, yes, we're already uh, down in Mississippi for their – there's March 15th. Wow. In Mississippi, yeah. it's one of the earliest openers in the season. Unfortunately, I did not get a turkey. You didn't? I did not. I came Chad close. came through again? Yeah, no, no. <laughs> so uh, Mississippi is a hard place to turkey hunt. Uh, they just have... I, I kind of say there's been like 40 years of nat- uh, hunt- hunter selection against if the bird gobbles, it pretty much dies <laughs> in Mississippi because <laughs> there's so quiet. many hunters. And so uh, they're selecting for quiet birds and, and you're dealing with much small, smaller properties there. So you're always, you know, the turkey's always on the wrong side of the fence, it seems like, uh-huh. and, and stuff like that. And, and it was early. They were very hand up. We, we got on some gobblers, but we could not pull them off the hens. So mm-hmm. just couldn't mm-hmm. get it done this year. Are Jay any out of state turkey plans or just North Dakota? Just North Dakota now. And spring is so busy with yeah. surveys that and mm-hmm. now I have a newborn. So I think I would be a, a single parent if I would go to another state right now. <laughs> and go no, not this year. Well, there's got to be somebody that'll watch a baby for like a day. And it's true. Yeah. Not me. <laughs> right. Yeah. You're busy enough. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'd offer my wife up, but I better ask her first. Yeah, but I know she likes yeah. to watch them. I don't want to get you in trouble. <laughs> Maybe we should go to again together. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Put them all in one spot. Yep. Uh, Kayla, are you going to get out turkey hunting? Not as much as we normally do. Um, we do have babysitters on the calendar for one April weekend. Hopefully weather's nice and... I don't know. We can at least get outside if nothing else. <laughs> and then I always kind of maybe keep Minnesota in our back pocket because it's uh, over the counter. So if the newborn shapes up a little bit, uh, maybe we could throw a Minnesota weekend in there. But yeah. Careful. He's going to listen to this. I know. Days, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my my six year old th- this year really wants to come with. And I think, you know, well, hopefully it's going to get a little bit nicer. But yeah. mm-hmm. have her sit in the blind. You know, she's. She's good enough now where I can tell her to be quiet, and she kind of listens. You know? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, put her in a blind so, so she can, you know, they can still move around. Those turkeys, if they're focused on the decoy, they don't care that much. But, yeah, yeah she's pretty excited. Nice. It was turkey season. I, I was never a big turkey hunter. Mm-hmm. I um, wasn't either. I yeah. grew up in Jamestown. Yeah. And I kind of started when it was with my boys, like mm-hmm. spring turkey season. It's kind of, I always call it their season. I usually mm-hmm. get a tag. Yep. But I'm just along for the ride. They get to... Pretty much do whatever they want, so we usually go camp. And the first morning, I get them up really early, get them out, and a lot of times we have success that first morning. Somebody mm-hmm. will get one, and then that the next morning I, before we go to bed, I always ask them, "You guys want to get up right away in the morning? You know, it's your hunt." And it's usually a sleep in, <laughs> <laughs> and then we go out afterwards. So, <laughs> but yeah, I've kind of giving them turkey season that's mm-hmm. like if you're gonna go duck hunting with me we ain't sleeping in we're mm-hmm. getting up we're going i'm dragging your butt out of bed that's right, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now turkey season is a typically a good one to get kids involved it's a Absolutely. it's usually warm yep. you yep. know 
a lot of times all you got to deal with is ticks maybe maybe you know but this and yeah be. i mean they can you know, stick them in a blind they can mm-hmm. they can move around you know bring snacks have a, have a blanket maybe heater in there yeah so. it's a great way to brush off winter it I is. know. I just miss like getting outside for a long. We would go out west and camp for every weekend for five weekends, and yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm not, not going to do that I'm one not, day. No, I'm not looking forward to the look on my dog's face though when I'm taking out the out. shotgun, putting yeah. the camel yeah. on. Where are you going? Oh, I lost the pair of cowboy boots that way one time. <laughs> oh, that, <laughs> my dog, then my last dog I had, I oh. walked out of the house. I was going to go coyote hunting, so I didn't take him with golden, yeah. golden retriever and. He saw me leave with that gun, and my wife said he was pacing around, and, the, and he was like yep. six at the time. You know, pretty much hadn't chewed on anything for five years. Yeah, and I got back in the house, and my cowboy boots were chewed all the way down to the heels. You know, he always kept that in his back pocket. Yeah. yeah. Next time, you don't take me out. <laughs> Taught me, you know. Our dog's going to be six, and somehow I feel like he's learned, because he's often with, so he's just in the truck for, like, deer hunting or turkey mm-hmm. hunting, and he somehow is just like, you know what, I'm just going to sit here and snooze. I ain't missing out on anything. <laughs> Our dogs are old, and they are great take hunting with us. We just throw them in the pickup yeah. in the camper, yeah. and yeah. they're just like, yeah, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. Fine for a while. No my, new, my new one is not not that way. It's <laughs> a year and a half, and if he ain't with you in the yeah. field, he's upset. <laughs> my two-year-old golden so, gets real mad when yeah. I leave. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Kayla, since we're talking about dogs, I'm going to ask you something. Yeah. How is the dog with the new baby? Kind of how I expected. He's just kind of, like, leery about it. Does not like when he cries. He just gets up and leaves the room. <laughs> um, just like your husband. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. But he doesn't, like, not like him, and he'll, like, lay by him as long as he's being quiet. But I think they'll be they'll be good buds once he's a little mm-hmm. more mobile and, like, moving around and stuff. But so, kind of what I expected. And he hasn't chewed up too many things in yeah. his lack of attention. He was definitely spoiled pre-baby, mm-hmm. so. yeah. Uh, he'll, he'll get to like him when he starts eating real food. I know and that's what he said. Floor, and know? we've been yeah. so good about no table food with him, and I'm I just know it's gonna go. That'll go. Yeah, yeah. That'll, go. <laughs> that'll go. Yeah, yeah. Our, ours turned in from no table food to strictly table food <laughs> to cold, clean it up. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like a, we have hardwood floor, so there's like a vacuum yeah. coming in. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, good. Well, I think that's that's all we got, unless you guys have something else on research or something like that, but. All right. All right, department droppings, Casey. It's been a while. Yeah, we hit some of these on the last one, but we will have turkey season going on when this one goes out. I believe it'll already be open. So um, just uh, one thing we want to remind you is we are coming into a late spring and things are hopefully going to melt, but that's going to create some road conditions and things that we want to be careful with out there. Yeah. uh, yeah, we should have mentioned this on the last one, but license is expired on March 31st. That can be an easy one if you haven't been out in a while to just forget to either like re-download if you purchase it with your uh, turkey application or just make sure to get your new 2023-24 hunting or fishing licenses um, starting April 1. Yeah, and if you're one that likes to keep your license on the phone you can, and you don't have our app yet, there's a real easy way to make your license presentable on, on your phone by downloading our Game Fish app which is, I think it's on all the Play Stores and Apple. I'm not an Apple guy, so (laughs) Apple. All the places. Places you get it from. But but yeah, and then maybe our spring-like goose season will still be going on. It's it's a long season, but I have a feeling they're going to be here in a short period. Mm. So if you like hunting spring snow geese, you better better be paying attention because they're going to come through fast, I think. But, well, now that we've uh, dropped the droppings, you can get off the pot and get outdoors. (laughs) 